Hello and welcome. You're listening to Everywhere is College Park. I'm your host, Enjoy. This week's episode, we talk about Trump's zero tolerance immigration policy, which is exactly what it is a policy. It is not the law, it is a policy. It was a policy enacted by Attorney General Jeff Sessions. He has a zero tolerance policy, which means that if anybody comes to the border, quote unquote, illegally, they will be prosecuted, and in the wake of their prosecution, their children will be taken away from them and put elsewhere until further notice. There are just some things that people need to know about seeking asylum. This is international law. This is law that every country has to follow. When a citizen or a national from a country comes onto U.S. soil, they have to first actually touch U.S. soil before they can claim asylum. The issue that's been going on is that these illegal immigrants have been crossing the borders um, into the United States. However, they're not crossing through ports of entry. So when they don't cross through ports of entry, they are entering they are entering the, the country illegally and therefore they are being prosecuted. So even when they come through the border or to the country illegally, most of the time they are told to go through some type of port of entry. But even what we're finding out and what Kirsten Nielsen said earlier in the week about ports of entry, she said that we are not turning them away. She said, quote unquote, that we are asking them to return back at a later time. She claims that at the current time, we do not have enough food, bed, medical, or medical resources to attend to everybody who's coming through ports of entry. That to me sounds like no, your ass ain't getting in. Come back later. Who, who has time to come back later when there are literally gangs waiting for you to chop your head off? Who has time to come back later? So it's just funny to me that they're telling these immigrants to come through ports of entry. But when they get to the ports of entry, they say, actually, we can't we can't do anything for you. We're going to ask that you come back at a later time when we do have the resources to take care of you. Which I respect and understand, but don't tell somebody who's trying to escape persecution, escape violence, who's trying to come to this country to essentially be free right? But then they're being turned away and asked to come in the correct way. And then when they do come in the correct way, there's an issue. There's a problem. You say no. My issue is that what if the United States had a war or something terrible going on to the point where we have to flee? And given how things are going right now, I honestly don't think that we're too far off from that. But in the event that there was a horrific tragedy going on, And me and my family had to pick up and move. We didn't have a second to think about it. We just picked up with the clothes on our back and left. If we step into Mexico, if we go north to Canada, the minute that we step foot onto their soil, we can seek asylum. They have to let us in. Again, this is law by every country has to follow. You have to let us in. Now you can detain us. You can do whatever you need to do. But the minute we step onto your soil and say that we're seeking asylum legally, Those countries cannot send us back. So I asked my husband when he thought about Trump's zero tolerance policy for immigration. And his response was pretty much what I expected of someone who actually cares about their children and just children in general. Um, But here's what my husband had to say. 
this whole situation is horrible. Anybody who's heard a child crying knows that that's like one of the worst things ever. And for Trump to initiate his policies like that is really uh, disturbing because he has kids. And uh, that makes me wonder what type of dad he is. Those are the words of a real man who loves his children. But to put things into perspective, the Trump administration is scared, very scared. They see all these little brown children trying to come into the United States. And even when they come in through ports of entry, they're saying, we can't accommodate you. But we need to think, why are these people bringing in these children with them? There's been narrative and Fox News talking points of these children are here because they are smugglers. They're trying to uh, accompany smugglers. They're a part of sex trafficking rings. These are part of the MS-13 children. These are uh, children who are unaccompanied. I mean, I, I just had a horrible time listening to Sarah Suckabee and Kristen Nielsen talk about just trying to deflect and place blame not only on the Democrats for this, but trying to deflect and say that the people who are coming in are thugs, are criminals, are gang members. And so, some of them may, may be. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that everybody coming over trying to cross into the border is an angel. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to make that blanket statement. But I also can't make the blanket statement that the two-year-old girl that I saw wailing is somehow a part of MS-13. Or the nine-month-old baby who was taken away from her breastfeeding, uh, who the mother from the mother who was breastfeeding the baby. What does MS-13 have to do with that? What does smuggling and sex trafficking have to do with that? I think even even if that is happening, is that really the vast majority of these people coming in? And then what does that have to do with separating? What is MS-13? What does smuggling have to do anything with separating a child from their parent? I do agree that there needs to be some kind of vetting process as to make sure that this is genuinely your child that definitely needs to happen but keeping children away from their parents is just unacceptable i've i i just can't imagine it but why are they coming to the u.s and not to other countries a lot of people ask that question the minute they get into mexico why don't they seek asylum in mexico and some of them do some people um some people don't even make it to the united states the next country that they go to that's that's where they go. They seek asylum in those places. But for the ones who come here, they they want to come here because they know that they can work at Mar-a-Lago. They know that they can work at these chicken factories. They know that they can work in the farms. They know that they can work in these meat production factories that no other American citizen would wants to do or or would even try to do it for that matter they know that they can get jobs that nobody else wants to do so is it really is it the idea that the american dream if you start somewhere if you just get here you can make things happen is that the narrative that is being sent to these central american countries because the narrative that i want to show them is that if you're brown or black, or just not white at all, you're gonna have to work about 10 times harder just to get the same thing that these white people have. Don't expect anybody to help you. 
Don't expect the government to be all willy-nilly trying to help you out. Although you may have a better chance because you're not black, but it's, it's almost like you guys are leaving your country. And I understand that, but America is a great country when it wants to be, but is, is it really? I mean, it's better, but it's not. We have gang violence in the United States. We have domestic violence, we have abuse, and not to mention this big umbrella that's been happening since the country's inception, racism. The fact that you are an immigrant, the fact that you probably don't speak English, and the fact that you are brown, you have all of those things going against you when you come here. So you're already at a disadvantage. Now, don't get me wrong, because there's people who have those same things and managed to be millionaires when they came here. But ask, I want you to ask them, how long did it take? Who helped them? How did they get to where they are? It's not easy. But I think when you want to leave a situation so bad, you're almost so desperate to do anything that you can. At that point, desperation is a powerful, powerful tool, and it will mess with your mind to the point where you will risk your own life just to get to better circumstances. And that's what people have to understand. Why they want to come here. So I don't, I don't think it's just them because they know that they can get jobs here. I think it's people like Trump who have places and resorts like Mar-a-Lago who employ immigrants because number one they know they can pay them less they know that they can pay them in cash they can keep them off the books they don't have to pay taxes they don't have to pay for these people's health insurance it's a good bargain hey low pay for high production does that sound familiar to anybody it should because that's slavery that's exactly what that is high production low costs barely pay the workers this isn't anything new what got me was jeff sessions bible reference he, in his mind, tried to liken, he tried to explain, and he tried to validate. The reason why they are implementing this zero tolerance policy is because it is in the Bible that you need to follow the laws of the land. Did he get it from all sides? He got it from the United Methodist Church, from the Pope, from the Catholic Church, from the uh, United Baptist Association. He reeked hell from what he did. And I'm actually gonna read what the United Methodist Church and what his own church, for those who did not know, Jeff Sessions actually used to be a Sunday school teacher. That man knows the Bible in and out. But apparently he doesn't because that same Bible also says that you must take care of the weak, that you must take care of the poor, that refugees must be treated with respect like anybody else. The fact that he even quoted a scripture and used the Bible to justify this immoral policy that the US government is implementing under the Trump administration shows, number one, that he's probably incompetent and not credible as a Sunday school teacher, but that he didn't read the whole chapter of the very scripture that he was quoting. I'm going to read the letter from the United Methodist Church on what they said in response to Jeff Sessions using the Bible as a tool to promote this immoral policy. So for those of you who don't know exactly what Jeff Sessions said, this is what he said justifying the policy of separating families who cross the U.S. border illegally. He said, and I quote, 
I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. Orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves and protect the weak and lawful. Okay. So the Methodists questioned the use of the Bible to defend immigration policies. And this letter was actually written by Reverend Dr. Susan Henry Crow. And she is the head of the United Methodist Church. Um, no, she is the general secretary of the Global Bra Board of Church and Society. And she calls these shocking violation of the spirit of the gospel. And this is what she said. In early May, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced a zero tolerance policy resulting in de facto separation, family separation. Children are immediately removed from their parents as they are, are apprehended after crossing the United States-Mexico border. And three days ago, the Attorney General also announced a policy reversing protections for asylum seekers fleeing domestic abuse and gang violence. Neither threat of violence is now considered grounds for asylum. Furthermore, in response to the ardent opposition from wide array of faith communities, the officials responsible for these policies have recently used Christian scripture to justify their actions. To argue that these policies are, are consistent with Christian teaching is unsound, a flawed interpretation, and a shocking violation to the spirit of the gospel. Administration officials have used the Christian text of Paul's letter to the Romans, his first and weightiest epistle, to justify their action. The ethical teachings of Romans chapters 12 through, 13, through 16 describe that consecrated Christian life requires the duties to love, of love and hospitality. The commandment in chapter 13 to be subject to the governing authorities is bracketed by preceding and following passage con containing the command to love. Earlier verses detail what love looks like. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And with emphasis it says, extend hospitality to strangers. Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 11 and 13. Subsequent verses further clarify the centrality of love and its comprehensive nature, stating that all the commandments are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Emphasized, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans chapter 13, verses 9 through 10. We are reminded by Paul that love is the way. Jesus is our way, our truth, our life. The Christ we follow would have no part in ripping children from their mother's arms or shunning those fleeing violence. It is unimaginable that faith leaders even have to say that these policies are anti-ethical to the teachings of Christ. Christian sacred texts should never be used to justify policies that oppress or harm children and families. Those using the Bible to justify these horrific policies should awful read the prophet Isaiah. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Isaiah chapter 10 verses 1 through 3. 
the Trump administration implemented these policies, they had the power to stop these horrific actions. Join me in calling the Department of Justice and especially on our fellow United States United Methodist Attorney General Jeff Sessions to immediately reverse these decisions. And then it goes on to say who to contact and how to contact. They were pissed. The United Methodist Church, who Jeff Sessions is a member of, called out against him. They called out against his policies, against the Trump administration, and they said, basically, don't ever use the Bible to justify these oppressive policies. That's not what the Bible is for. And we not want no part of it. You, sir, are not a Christian for even thinking something like that. And that's that's basically what she said. I mean, and that's that was just one church organization. I mean, the growing list of religious leaders and organizations writing letters and making statements includes several leading evangelical churches and institutions which often line themselves with republicans politically even they have had something to say uh russell moore president of the ethics and religious liberties commission of the southern baptist convention wrote a letter to the white house and in it he said and i quote as evangelical christians guided by the bible one of our core convictions is that god has established the family as the fundamental building block of society the state should separate families only in the rarest of instances um, this letter was also signed by the National Association of Evangelicals the Council for uh, Christian Colleges and Universities the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference they're just basically saying how these policies have long devastating long-term effects on everybody involved so just about every religious leader you can think of gave the president an earful. That's just one group of people we haven't even touched on. Guess who? All five former living first ladies have all spoken out against this policy. So that's Laura Bush. She wrote an op-ed, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Michelle Obama. She retweeted something that at the top of my head, either Laura Bush retweeted or Hillary Clinton retweeted. Speaking of Hillary Clinton, she said something as well. She made a statement via Twitter. Who else said something? It was all, five of them had, had said something. And Melania actually came out and said that even though we must follow the rules of the law, she said it's hard to watch um, families being separated. But she said we must also govern with a heart. My thing is, your husband could have ended all of this. How concerned really are you? And where's Ivanka? Apparently Ivanka showed photos, but even she doesn't have her dad's ear like we think she does. Bush's op-ed. She wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post, and she has a lot to say. She said, on Sunday, a day as a nation we set aside to honor fathers and bonds of family. I was among the millions of Americans who watched images of children who have been torn from their parents. In the past six weeks between April 19th and May 31st, the Department of Homeland Security has sent nearly 2,000 children to mass detention centers or foster care. More than 100 of these children are four years old or younger. The reason for these separations is a zero-tolerance policy for their parents who are accused of illegally crossing our borders. I live in a border state. I appreciate the need to enforce and protect our international boundaries, but the zero tolerance policy is cruel. It is immoral and it breaks my heart. She goes on to say that our government should not be in the process of warehousing children in converted box stores or make plans to make put them in tent cities outside of the desert in El Paso. We know that this type of treatment inflicts trauma. 
In turn, Japanese have been two times as likely to suffer cardiovascular or die prematurely than those who are not interned. The last paragraph of her op-ed is what really got me, and this is it. 29 years ago, my mother-in-law, Barbara Bush, visited Grandma's house, a home for children with HIV-AIDS in Washington. Back then, at the height of the HIV-AIDS crisis, the disease was a death sentence, and most babies born with it were considered, quote-unquote, untouchables. During her visit, Barbara, who was the first lady at the time, picked up a fussy, dying baby named Donovan and snuggled him against her shoulder to soothe him. My mother-in-law never viewed her and that fragile child as courageous. She simply saw it as the right thing to do in a world that can be arbitrary, unkind, and even cruel. She, after the death of her three-year-old daughter, knew what it was to lose a child. Believed that every child is deserving of human kindness, compassion, and love. And those are what she, what she wants America to be. A nation of kindness, compassion, and love. This is just setting such a bad example. And a, there is an update. So there have been several world leaders who have um, basically condemned Trump for this policy. And one of them is Theresa May in, in England. Again, I said the Pope. And there, there's been a number of organizations. There's been a number of protests. For those who may or may not know, Kristen Nielsen, the Department of Homeland Security uh, Deputy Director, she was somewhat a cost. No, she was met with protesters. She had the nerve to go to a Mexican restaurant. When she got there, the protesters showed up. They started screaming at her and it wasn't very long until she got up and left with her security detail. Today, just this past evening, I want to say a few hours ago, Trump actually signed an executive order to end the practice of separating children from their families. But it doesn't do anything to address the 2,000 or 2,300 children who have already been separated. It doesn't address anything of that. It just says they're no longer going to further implement that policy. When I saw the White House press briefing two days ago, it was just met with utter lies. I saw that Kristen was doing her damnness to deflect and put out a narrative that... This is MS-13 gangs, that these are smugglers, that these are sex traffickers coming into the country rather than people escaping and fleeing violence and domestic terrorism in their own countries. That She was trying really hard to get that narrative out. However, what she didn't say was, do they have psychologists on staff to deal with the trauma, the anguish, the stress, the depression that these children could potentially be facing the suicidal nature, the self-harm that's going on as they no longer think about what they're going through. They are in a country, most of them, that they've never been to. They don't have the one person in their life that's familiar to them to get used to everything that's going on. Can you imagine just being in a place where you don't know anybody, relying on these strange people to take care of you? There has to be some kind of psychological component to this. She, she Kristen, Kristen didn't mention anything about having clinical psychologists on staff who are trained 
to look for behavioral problems, suicidal problems, didn't say anything about their emotional needs being met. All she said was they had their basic care met, which is the same as the care that a dog gets when it's in a kennel. So she said they're good because they have food. They're good because they have hot, hot food. They're good because they have uh, clothes. They have a place to sleep. And some of them, she had the nerve to say, are being educated, which I, I'll believe it when I see it. She said she didn't know where the girls were, but yet could attest that they were well taken care of. So which is it? How do you not know where they are, but you can say for a fact that they're being well taken care of? So she didn't allude to any of these things which have to be talked about. So for those who may or may not know, childhood trauma has long-term effects and it comes out and shows in different ways it can be through behavior through um, disease most of the time it's one of those two or it can just present itself in different ways that we have yet to come about so the CDC actually had a few it's, it's called childhood um, adverse childhood events or ACEs when children have traumatic childhood events that happen to them oftentimes what happens is this leads to substance abuse down the line depending on the trauma it can lead to cardiovascular disease diabetes obesity again it just depends on, on what the trauma is but basically every chronic disease that you can think of can actually be stemmed back to some type of childhood traumatic experience that somebody has, has dealt with in their life and haven't dealt with it i'm not even going to get into addiction because that, that's almost a precursor to a, a catastrophic event that happened in somebody's life that they never gotten over and this shows in different ways again children are ripped from their apart they can be introverted this can lead to suicidal behaviors none of these things are being addressed in what the Department of Homeland Security Deputy Director is saying to the press. We need answers. How are their emotional needs being met? Who is watching these children? I know for a fact that the staffers in these detention centers only receive one week of training. I've gone on the Karen Hunter show, I've gone on the Armstrong Williams show, and Joe Madison show, all on Sirius XM, Urban View Channel, to explain that these detention centers are being run or staffed with, with people who not only do not have experience with children, but they don't even come from lines of work that have to deal with children. The type of staffers that need to be in these centers need to be licensed, they need to have worked in this type of environment and they certainly need more than one week's worth of training you need more training to work at a daycare you need more training to work at a damn dog kennel how are we how do we know if these children don't have allergies what kind of formula are you giving these children who's changing their diapers i've already heard of one story of molestation already i've heard of one child dying already as a parent as a parent i, I can't read I just can't even fathom any of this happening. I can't. Like, I, I tried really hard to try and put myself into those shoes, and I did for a second, but I didn't even want to go there. That was just something I just, the only reason why I'm not in their shoes is because of the grace, the universe, and God. Because that can easily 
beat any one of us. Nobody, none of us have control over what families we're born into or where we're born. By the grace of God, I was born in the United States. Now I have my own shortcomings because I'm a woman and I'm black, but I'm still born in a country where I can essentially escape things that other people in other countries may not be able so easily to do. And I understand and I recognize my privilege in that respect. So it was hard for me to understand how this could go on in a country like this. But then I, I, I go back to slavery, I go back to the Japanese, I go back to the Native Americans when they took their children and re-educated them, when they took the Japanese children because they thought they were spies when they broke up the uh, black children to sell them off to slavery. I mean, it's just now it's the Latinos turn. That's that's honestly what this feels like to me. Like every group of color at some point in this country is going to have some kind of atrocity happen to them because I just feel like if these were Canadian children coming across would the same policy have been implemented? If these were, if England weren't a whole ocean away, or if Norway weren't where it was, let's say Norway was a border country just like Mexico is, would Trump have implemented the same policy? You can't tell me this isn't about race. He sees a whole bunch of brown children trying to come in, and him and Jeff Sessions thought that this was the way to do it. And when you have people denouncing the Republican Party and saying, this has officially been the party of Trump. There are two people who renounced their Republican Party status this week, all based on this immigration policy. Today, Mitch McConnell told the press that the Republicans have agreed that the president needs to end this policy. But what I really think that was when they got behind closed doors with the president, I honestly think they cussed them the fuck out. And they were like, you need to fix this shit because if you don't, we're all gonna fucking lose in November and it's because of your fault, dipshit. You know, Trump doesn't like being blamed for anything. So I think he sort of faltered because not only was he getting flack from his base, but damn, help. All the Republicans said, you need to end this. All the Evangelicals said, hey, you need to end this. He has no more base left. So basically he caved. I just had to talk about this because it was so heavy on my heart and I just felt like I have to record. I have to set the facts straight on what it is, what's really going on there. I was going to turn this episode into an ICE, an ICE deportation episode, but I might actually save that for... A different one. There's a lot going on with ICE and these raids and there's a lot of stories coming out. But we'll talk about that in another episode. And again, I want to leave you guys on a good note that this policy has ended. Now the administration needs to work to find out who's are the who are the parents of these children. We need to get them back together and then figure out from there what we're going to do with them. And with that, I'll leave it on that note. This is Everywhere is College Park. I'm your host, Enjoy. See you next episode. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Enjoy. Music from freemusicarchive.com. Artist, Soft and Furious, and Never Come Back. Nang Do, Intro. Lee Rosevere, Decompress. Wasn't what I expected. Completely lost. Guest host and guest appearance by Sean Mann. This is Everywhere is College Park.